0: All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles, and we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. As we continue, a little series we've put together after our 10 months in Revelation together called So Now What? And we're asking questions in light of everything that we've learned in the book of Revelation. What do we do now? What do we do today? And so we're looking at various passages in the New Testament that speak who I believe you and I, who appear to be living in the last days. And so we pick it up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, in a message entitled, Perilous Times. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters and proud, blasphemers, Well, I can see it in some of your faces already. Oh, great, another uplifting, encouraging message here at Calvary Chapel. This message today is all about setting proper expectations. I don't know about you, but I have been let down the most when I've had improper expectations. Maybe those expectations were unrealistic rather than being realistic. Maybe they were too high and they should have been lowered. I'm sure we've all been in the scenario when somebody has hyped up a restaurant or a movie and then we go see it or we go eat there and we're like, what? I thought they had taste, you know? And you realize that you and them are on a different page. I'll never forget when I was a, young, a little boy, first time ever coming out to this area, my parents took us out to Santa's Village, okay, Santa's Village, and I was all excited. You know, when I started dating my wife who lived out here, when she told me where she lived, I thought, you live at Santa's Village? Because I thought that was the only thing out here past, you know, west past 59, it was just Santa's Village. And so the whole way there, my mom and dad are hyping up the fact that we're going to see Santa. So we finally get there, we're walking through the park, and it's all pretty and lights and stuff, and... It was one of those winter experiences that they had. It was really pretty, but we were really excited to see Santa. But we walked past where he was supposed to be sitting, but apparently Santa takes breaks, okay? And as we were walking by, we were walking by... (laughs) I'm not even going to be able to say this. We were walking behind the building where he is supposed to be, and he's leaning up against the wall, smoking a cigarette, and then belches. And I'm like... Santa! I didn't know you were a Benz, okay? That's something my family would do. Expectations blown. Later on in life, the second time that I really had my expectations shattered was when I found out in 2006 that I needed surgery. It's the first time I ever had surgery in my life. And so my doctor recommended me going to a surgeon. I went to the surgeon and they realized that I had a gallbladder problem, and we need to remove the gallbladder. So I went to the surgeon and I kind of knew him. And we were talking about it. He's like, Pff. Oh, he goes, I've done a million of these things. I'm like, Well, everybody's got bad gallbladders or what? He like, said, it's, it's no big deal. It's in and out. I said, Well, what about complications? They are so rare. Famous last words. Don't worry about them. So we didn't go through them, okay? Six weeks later, I had the surgery. Six weeks later, I was back in the hospital because of complications. I still have complications almost 20 years later. The expectation was that I was going to be free and clear, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. If it could happen, it did happen, all right? Hope nobody has to have surgery soon. (laughs) I don't want to encourage you or discourage you. Expectations are very important. And expectations are often misleading when people tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear, right? Expectations can be formed based on what people think we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. So the Bible tells us what we need to hear so we may form proper expectations and we're not blindsided when we find ourselves in the middle of something. Does that make sense? The Bible will always tell us what we need to hear, even if we sometimes don't want to hear it. This is one of those verses that we need to hear to set proper expectations concerning the days in which we currently live. This isn't a surprise. This didn't just happen. God told us it was going to happen beforehand to help us prepare, to help us get ready. You know, I had someone say to me one time, you know, sometimes when you talk about the end times, I am so scared after service. I'm like, good, that's what I wanted. No, I didn't say that. I said, no, these things are not meant to scare you. They're meant to prepare you. Prepare you for what's coming and what I think we are already in. Now, let's be honest. I think all of us are surprised by what we are experiencing, facing, and hearing on a daily basis today. Would that be fair to say? Just when you, don't, just when you think, oh, I can't hear anything more, you know, and then all of a sudden you hear something more, something surprising, something shocking, something you didn't expect. The famous philosopher, the Roman philosopher, Lucius Seneca, he said this, We are most affected by those things which have happened contrary to hope and expectation. Let me say that again. We are most affected by those things which have happened contrary to hope and expectation. No, God does not say these things to us, tell us these things to scare us, but to prepare us notice with me in verse 1 know this that in the last days again pointing to the time most believe is speaking of the time right before the second coming of jesus christ but there is an argument to be made here that the last days actually started after the ascension of jesus christ for in acts two sixteen and 17 when peter was explaining what was going on there at the feast of pentecost on the rooftop He quoted Joel, and he said this, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. The last days, the days of grace, the days prior to the coming of Jesus Christ the Bible seems to indicate as we get closer to his return the more difficult perilous the times will become other words that can be used for perilous is stressful troubled filled with hardship dangerous and maybe even violent but these days are characterized as such not due to external circumstances But internal conflicts, let me say that again. These days are not caused by external circumstances, but internal conflicts. The reason for the difficulty of these days, the stressfulness of these days, is a result of what's happening in the human heart of people around us. For notice what he says here. For men shall be lovers of themselves. I love the way the Amplified Bible states it. But understand this, that in the last days will come, set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. And the reason for this is because of the difficulties that are arising out of the hearts of individuals who are in love with themselves rather than in love with God. As the last days progress, people will become more in love and infatuated and self-centered apart from God, and as a result, there's a whole host of things that take place. Notice with me in verses 2 to 4. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters and proud and blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good and traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Notice the bookends in the grammatical construction of those verses. It starts with, Men shall be lovers of themselves, and ends with, rather than lovers of God. And everything in between, grammatically structured, shows the result of that decision. Now, some Greek grammatics believe that what is being displayed here is a technique, or I should say a method, of Greek construction called charasmus, where it starts out one way, ends one way, and everything is like a ladder leading to the next phrase or the next description or the next word. Meaning this, that as a result of men being lovers of themselves, they then become lovers of money, boasters and proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, etc., because of their heart condition, because they are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, all of these other things shall occur. The phrase in the Greek, lover of self, means to lead to the following characteristics. They are self-centered individuals and are classic narcissists, according to one commentator. This grammatic construction is similar to that of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. When Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And all of the words following the word love are a result of that love. Joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness, goodness, etc. are a result of that love. So, in the last days... People will be lovers of themselves, and as a result they shall be lovers of money. Notice with me how the New Living Translation translates this verse. Excuse me, talk among yourselves. Pardon me, I need a drink. It's been one of those mornings. Notice with me. For people will will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Interesting that the opposite of that, you know, another word synonymously in the Greek that could be used there is entitled. They could feel entitled. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving. Their own natural affections between family members will be eroded. They will be unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless and puffed up with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. I don't know about you, but that seems to be a very accurate description of what's happening around us, doesn't it? Now, not everybody, I don't want to characterize everybody as like that, but we sure see the needle moving in that direction, don't we? And Paul is giving us insight. God is giving us insight that this is a reality created by the fact that they love themselves rather than loving God. But yet, notice with me in verse 5. This is concerning. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Paul described these people in Titus 1.16, For they profess to know God, but their works deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Meaning, they say that they believe, but their actions do not equate that. They do not substantiate that claim. They say one thing and do another. A hypocrisy. Now in the text, Paul is most likely speaking of false teachers. But commentators and scholars agree that as society moves away from God, the self-centeredness and the self-love that they adopt rather than loving God will lead to these things, will create these conditions and bring about perilous times, stressful, difficult, etc. These is the result of sowing and reaping. Sowing these decisions, sowing love for themselves. For the last 40 years we've been telling people that before you can love others you first need to love yourself. For the last several decades we've been telling everyone that self-esteem is the most important thing. Why then are we shocked by the results? Why do we see a level of entitlement that we've never seen before? Why do we see the selfishness and the cruelty and the arrogance and the pride and etc.? Why is it that money has all the value and pragmatic uh, impact in one's life to value one's life? gauging their personal success or failure by how much a person makes. And yet the Bible clearly says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is the society that is shaping around us, forming around us, due to the fact that we have chose to love ourselves rather than to love God. Well, for you and I who are Christians, we need to take a step back. Because I believe this also gives us one of the greatest opportunities for salvation in the world. I am sensing, and maybe you are too, that many people are coming to an end of their journey in this selfish position. The reason being is that they are starting to realize and conclude that these things are not satisfying, they're not fulfilling, and they are not Producing the joy and the happiness and the peace in the person's life that they supposedly were going to experience by taking this course. By sowing these things. Instead of reaping the things that God has said that would come from one who reaps to the spirit. I'm sorry, sows to the spirit. But reaping to the flesh will gain and sowing to the flesh will gain a reaping of the whirlwind. I think we have a dynamic opportunity before us, but it's not going to be an easy journey. It's not going to be easy. But God has us here for a time such as this to reach the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who will listen. But you and I, we have to be different. If we appear the same way that they are, we aren't going to be able to offer them a hope We're not going to be able to offer them a peace, a joy, a love that is unconditional. We need to be different, radically different. And that difference is not going to garnish applause and affirmation. Let's be honest. That difference, that radical difference, is going to draw persecution, When we stand for the righteousness of Jesus Christ in a world of moral relativism. When we say that God loves you, but that doesn't mean that God approves of everything that you do. Remember, they hated Jesus, right? He was perfect. He loved everyone perfectly. But remember what Jesus said, that men love darkness rather more than the light. And so when he came into the world and he penetrated through the darkness, there were those who did come and follow him and find eternal life. But there are others that resisted that. But if we are going to be effective in the backdrop of the darkness that we are currently surrounded by, we have to be different. If we're going to let our light shine, we cannot be like the world to reach the world. We need to be like Christ to save the world. Now, it's not us who saves, but it is Christ in and through us, His Spirit working in their hearts and minds already. Now, I know this sounds awesome, and it's like, wow, that is a task in and of itself. Guys, God has us here for this purpose. I don't know about you, but all that matters to me, every single time I turn on the news, Every single time I pull up the, you know, the internet, look on X, uh, look on social media, all I can think to myself is I hope and pray that every one of my friends and family are saved in Jesus Christ. Honestly, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Because our temporal comfort that we have here in a moment, and yes, we hope and pray for our comfort of our friends and family who don't know the Lord. But when it's all said and done, when we go alone in our room at night and get before the Lord in prayer and we start asking for their salvations, we know in our heart that if their momentary discomfort leads to their eternal salvation, then so be it, right? Why? Because I don't want to set an expectation in their mind that is false and wrong. Hey, yeah, you're right. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. It's easy going. That's exactly what Jesus said about the Broadway, right? It's going to be well traveled. It's going to be easy going. But in the end, it is destruction. And if they're not going to hear it from us, who are they going to hear it from? How can we say that we love our family members and are unwilling to share Jesus Christ with them? No, I'm saying do it tactfully. Do it when the doors of opportunity have presented themselves and do it when you've prayed up. And maybe you're in a period of time where they've shut you down for a little while. Then you know what? You can still be an effective witness even if they've shut you down. You know how? They can't do anything stopping you getting on your knees and praying for them in your room at night alone. They can't do anything about that. Because though they may be out of your hearing, they're never out of God's. And I'm convinced of this one thing, that God loves them even more than we do, and demonstrated that by sending his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Every single day that I have an opportunity, I look for an an open door to share the gospel with someone. Every day, I ask the Lord, bring those open doors across my path today, Lord. Because it's all that matters, right? When it's all said and done, that's all that matters. How do we be different? Well, notice with me, let's take a little journey through the teachings of Jesus Christ Himself. And we start in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. Notice what Jesus said here, and I want everyone to consider with me soberly, objectively, leaving out emotions and opinions, and read these words with me. This is, this is God's Word. This is Jesus speaking. In Mark 8, 34 through 38, notice with me. When he called the people to himself with his disciples also. It was the multitudes. It was His disciples. He said to them, Whoever desires to come after Me, let him first deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels the last days his second coming notice what he says here let me just emphasize this again. Verse 35. For whoever, I'm sorry, verse 34. Whoever desires to come after me, follow me. Call themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Let him deny himself. Not love himself, deny himself. A little different. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And notice what he says. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is Jesus speaking. This is Jesus. Christianity is not all about us. It's all about him. It's not obtaining The things that God can give us in our relationship with God the Father through Christ. It's about following Him. The question then is how then shall we deny ourselves? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, in reference to what we just read, that the world will be lovers of themselves, my interpretation of the denial that Christ is looking for is that we love something else more than ourselves. Does that make sense? That we love something more than ourselves. And I think that is consistent with Scripture. Let me show you. How shall we deny ourselves? Notice what Mark 12, 29 and 31 says. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, o Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like it. It is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If I'm loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's very little attention for myself. God is not asking us to love ourselves before we can love others. He says, love me and then love others and then love your neighbor as yourself. The denial that I believe that Christ is looking for is the love. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the key. This is the key. And Jesus said that there's no greater love than one who lays down his life for another. This is what God is looking for from us. If we are going to deny ourselves, if we are going to choose to love God rather than to love us, then let's do so with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul. How do we do that? By laying ourselves down before the Lord and say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. This is the radical nature of Christians needed today to reach this world. I don't care what intellectual argument someone puts forward concerning their uh, rejection of Jesus Christ. When we begin to love each other as Jesus Christ loved us, people will know that what, we are truly His followers. That's where it starts. Okay? We have been working so hard in the Church of America to become like the world, to reach the world, when Jesus said, no, I want you to become so unlike the world. I want you to love one another as I have loved you, in a selfless, sacrificial type of manner, unconditionally. I want you to forgive each other when you have been wronged. I want you to go the extra mile for one another that they may know that you are truly of mine. Now, the love that Jesus Christ has demonstrated is a love that also is in, incorporates his holiness and his righteousness. We can love someone and still yet hate the sin in which they are committing. We used to say it all the time you know, hate sin, love the sinner. We used to say that all the time here at this church. I think that we absolutely display God's love when we tell them the truth. You know, I've been asked so many times by so many people, shouldn't we refer to people by their chosen pronouns? The pronouns that they identify with to show them respect and love. And I say to them with all sincerity, I said, I can't go there. I said, because I'm a Christian and my job is to tell them the truth, and by telling them the truth, I am showing them the love of Jesus Christ. It isn't an issue of disrespect. I respect them so much to tell them the truth. Again, I don't know why love is automatically displayed by telling someone what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Paul said it this way when he was communicating this type of approach to God in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, not my will, but your will be done, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's God's will for us, that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to get there. We're not going to get there if we choose to be conformed by this world rather than being transformed from the inside out. I love what Paul said to the Colossians. Notice this with me. He says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, he says, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. But notice what he says in verse 14. But above all these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule your hearts, to which you also were called in one body to be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whether you, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Yes, the perilous times are upon us. And if our, I believe those perilous times have created a backdrop of opportunity. As people see and have exhausted the world's hopes of satisfaction, of meaning, of purpose, of peace, and individuals incapable of finding those things, and yet desperately desiring relationship, you and I, if we are willing to deny ourselves take up our cross, and follow after God can be a brilliant light in the darkness, drawing people on to Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity before us. Let us not shirk away from this opportunity, but let's ask God for the grace and the boldness to take advantage of it, okay? Now, some of you may be saying, but it's getting scary out there. It's getting really concerning. The world has changed so much in my lifetime. I don't understand it anymore. I get you. I know where you're coming from. I want to leave you with this this morning to encourage you each and every day. Again, it's the words of our Lord himself in John 16:33. I leave you with these words today. In the perilous times in which we live in the world in which We are surrounded by, remember these words. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Let's say that together. I have overcome the world. Amen?